News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Now, it seems like we're moving in the right direction here in BC. We've got numbers of yesterday, I think 400 and some odd cases of COVID-19. Testing still not where it should be, though. Uh, a lot of places around the world, though, are definitely cracking down much more harshly than what we have seen here in this province. Denmark is now following the UK's lead and moving to its highest COVID-19 alert level. So we thought, let's check in, find out what's happening there. Joining us is Shane Woodford, once again, freelancer in Denmark, former CKNW reporter. Hi, Shane. Hey, Simi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. So why is Denmark doing this? Why move to this high level? What's going on? Yeah, it began just before Christmas when we saw a real uh, historically high surge in COVID infections here. We were seeing the highest numbers we'd ever seen. It was in excess of 4,000 a day at one point, and that caused a lockdown that went into place the Monday before Christmas. Uh, And as of yesterday, the lockdown has now been very tightened. And the reason why it's been tightened is out of fears of the UK COVID variant, which the health authority here in Denmark says is between 50 and 74% more contagious than the original COVID variant, which is like saying, you know, comparing a wildfire to a fire cyclone. Um, So the number of confirmed UK COVID variant cases here in Denmark uh, has doubled in a week. And this comes on news of historically high hospital admissions in Denmark. Matter of fact, as of yesterday, Simi, and this is really concerning news, Uh, The hospital capacity in Metro Copenhagen and the entire island that is on Shayland has now reached capacity and uh, certain alarm bells are now ringing and they're basically saying, listen, we have to really lock down and prevent uh, a tide uh, overwhelming the healthcare system. Now, this is like with a lot of testing going on in Denmark too, right? You've got one of the best testing rates I've ever seen. Yeah, we tested 100,000 people yesterday. We're testing like nobody's business. We're building out capacity. They've added, to my knowledge, just in the last five months, uh, at least four, if not five different um, testing laboratories, some of those built from scratch. That is impressive then, but still clearly lots of concern there. How are people reacting to all this? Yeah, uh, people are obviously concerned. Um, You know, when you see the health system kind of teetering on the brink, Uh, We are not at a house arrest level here, Simi, but we're right on the brink. Uh, The Prime Minister was asked yesterday that whether a curfew is on the table. She said it is, in fact, on the table. Uh, The wording yesterday was for for people in Denmark to remain inside their house and not leave unless for essential purposes. Matter of fact, um, we're only allowed to have one person in a family go into a grocery store at any one time. Everything is locked down. The concern level here is definitely raised from, you know, what it was a month or two ago especially considering, Simi, that we're in a lot of ways uh, in a worse position than we were at the height of the first wave mm-hmm. when it struck back in the spring. So what about the travel restrictions then as well? I know there's lots of concern about that UK variant, but it's not just yep. in the UK. No, um, they're, they've brought actually, well, there's also the South African variant. So About a week or so ago, Denmark introduced a travel ban on the United Kingdom, basically saying unless you are a resident or citizen of Denmark or have some legal uh, ability to be in the country, uh, you could not come from the United Kingdom to Denmark. 
anybody who does come from the United Kingdom to Denmark and can get into Denmark has to be tested before they board the plane. They are tested again when they leave the plane. They go into immediate isolation, and they're tested again the fourth day of isolation. And if that test is negative, then they can come out of quarantine. As of midnight last night, the exact same travel ban and rules came into effect for South Africa. There we have a much more contagious COVID variant, and there is some reports, although not entirely locked down at this point, that this one may pose some kind of a risk to vaccine. Okay, well, let's talk about the vaccination rates then. How is that going in Denmark? I know this this morning, what, the EU approved the Moderna vaccine, is that right? Yeah, that's right. They've, uh, they've recommended approval from the drug watchdog of the European Union. They haven't actually done the approval from the European Union itself. That is expected sometime this afternoon or tonight. They're going to move pretty fast on that. They've already approved the Pfizer vaccine, so Moderna would be the second. Uh, The European Union has under contract 160 million doses. That's on top of the 300 million from Pfizer. Uh, Here in Denmark, I was really struck in the press conference from the Prime Minister yesterday that all the officials characterized vaccinations as a race, a race against spreading infections. They think that this is the only way we are getting out of this COVID mess, and they are vaccinating like tomorrow. So as of the end of this week, um, tomorrow and Friday, uh, the southern Denmark health region, the second most populous, and the metro Copenhagen health region, and the one that actually encompasses the island it's on, will have offered a first shot of the Pfizer vaccine to every nursing home resident in their region. And the Prime Minister said yesterday that as of the 18th of January, they will have offered a shot to every single senior in a nursing home in the country. Uh, On top of that, they are planning to ramp up to 100,000 vaccinations a day if they can get that kind of supply chain going. And if they can, then they anticipate getting every single priority group as well as a quote-unquote large chunk of the general public vaccinated by summer. So, yeah, let me know, what is the plan then in Denmark for who is going to get it and when? For instance, when are you eligible for it? Yeah, well, I'll be part of the general public. The first priority goes to nursing homes, which they're just finishing up. Uh, They just sent out a notice today saying that they're now opening up new vaccination centers and then the invite. They have a a government-run email system here, so everybody in Denmark has this government email very technological country. So basically they set up a vaccination site and as soon as they go from one priority group to the next, the nursing homes were very, uh, they they didn't require an invite. They had mobile clinics going into these homes, obviously. Now they're going to be extending invitations to healthcare professionals, uh, people with compromised immune systems, vulnerable populations, that kind of stuff. So they'll go next, but those people will get an email in their, it's called e-box and they will go to their vaccination center at the scheduled time and they'll begin to get vaccinated And once that phase one wraps up, then we go into phase two, which is everybody else, which would be me and my family and everyone else. What's fascinating about this to me, Shane, is that like Denmark has done such a good job, right, on organizational aspects of this with the testing, with the vaccine rollout. And yet they are still so deeply affected by the number of cases. Yeah, I, I really think it has a lot to do with travel because we're a lot more intermeshed with a lot more countries. And I think in some ways, to me, it's a microcosm of what goes on in the United States when you have all the different states and the people zipazooing all over the place. Canada is somewhat more insulated because you've obviously closed the border to your south and you have population centers that, although large in some spots, are a lot more spread out. I mean, here in the EU, in a matter of hours... I can go from any number of cities, and and if I'm in certain countries, I can go between three or four different countries, you know, depending where I'm going. You can zip from train and plane in a matter of minutes or hours all over the place. 
uh, you and I talked about in the summer when the restrictions all fell and it was almost like life is normal and yeah. people were flying all over. And we, of course, like we talked about how even when travel restrictions came into effect, they were exempting business travel. And there's a lot of business travelers going all over the place and they certainly don't have any magic immunity from being infected and spreading it around. And I think if, if, if we're being honest, uh, and we're really serious about this, I would uh, like, and it's not going to happen, but I think you should stop air travel and close all borders until you stamp out the infection and then open up. Well, that certainly worked for some jurisdictions. Uh, Shane, thank you. As always, a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You stay safe. You stay safe, too. Take care. That's Shane Woodford. He's a freelancer in Denmark, of course, a former CKNW reporter. We've periodically checked in with him during the pandemic. And Denmark is is fascinating to me because, as we were just saying, they they have done so many things right, like testing 100,000 people. That's how many tests that they ran yesterday. That's phenomenal. Uh, and they've done so many things, like absolutely by the book, perfectly. You'd, you'd think that things would be more under control there. But no, they are now at their highest COVID-19 alert level uh, and still lots of concerns about the increase in the number of cases, uh, people in hospital uh, and their ICUs essentially filling up. But their vaccine rollout is also happening very rapidly. This is Mornings with Simi. Oh, that was some heartbreak for the Canadian men's junior hockey team last night. Of course, they went into that gold medal game against the United States. Hopes were high, but they were shut out. Final score, 2 nothing. Let's talk about that. And good news as well for Vancouver Canucks fans. Joining us is Christian O'Mell, host of the sports show on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Christian. Good morning, Sammy. Are you all recovered from that? Yeah, you know what? It- when the other team plays pretty much a perfect game, you can't really yeah. be too upset. USA came out, they got a couple opportunistic goals. The second one, especially right at the start of the second, was a little bit fluky, kind of gets caught up in the net, and the goalie thinks it's going one way, and Trevor Zekers, who was the best player in the tournament, gets the goal. And then after that, the U.S. just played really the perfect defensive game, right? They, sh- they shut Canada down. Yeah, Canada had shots, but it never really felt like they had good scoring chances. Uh, there were a couple, right? Bowen Byron mm-hmm. with the post at one point in the second period, and then we had the the breakaway late with Connor McMichael, who didn't really get a good shot off. But they kept everything to the outside. It was an absolutely stupendous performance in net by Spencer Knight for the United States. And, you know, Trevor Zegers before the game was talking about how Canada hadn't really faced anyone like them in the tournament. He's kind of right. I know they, you know, they played the Russians, and they beat Russia pretty badly, and Russia beat the U.S., and, you know, Finland gave the U.S. a harder time than they gave Canada. But, for the most part, Canada wasn't really all that tested, and you know what? The U.S. played a perfect game. So, sure, the you know silver doesn't taste as good as gold, but you, you have to tip your hat to the Americans. Absolutely, I'm I'm very superstitious about sports, you know, just in general. I'm a superstitious person. Okay. So, anytime you get to the final and you haven't lost a game yet. I always think, well, you're kind of ripe for losing one. Do you know what I mean? I, I always think about the year the yeah. New England New England Patriots won every single game, and then they get to the Super Bowl and they lost it to the New York Giants. Right, and back at that point, it was you know a perfect defensive game, kind yeah. of like last night was. And for the, the Canadians, it wasn't so much even that they hadn't lost it; it's just they weren't really tested. Right, Pool A was absolutely the easier pool. And next year, they're actually going to be breaking down pretty similarly with Canada's pool being a lot easier than America's pool. But you look at their their pool play, maybe it didn't get them prepared. Maybe you play this game 10 times and Canada wins six times. Who knows? But America won and uh, 
kudos to them. Kudos to them is right. Let's talk about some local hockey here now as well. Uh, we've got, hey, what did you think about the NHL selling the names to the divisions for this season? I didn't. Who cares? Right? They got to make money somehow. <laughs> I guess fans so. Aren't go- fans aren't going to be at games. They need money, right? Yes. Is, sports are a business. People are mad. At, oh, no, it's a disgrace. You're putting hel- you know, stickers on the helmets. Get over yourself. You're going to watch the game anyway. No one's going to refer to the divisions with the sponsor names except for NHL.com. We're going to forget all about it. There's ads on the boards. There's ads all over the place. There's commercial breaks on every broadcast. There's commercials everywhere. It's going to be okay. That's so true. Uh, Vancouver Canucks, of course, back at it. Very relieved, I think, for a lot of sports fans here that they're going to at least be playing uh, here Mm -hmm. in Vancouver. How are they looking to you? I think they're they're right in that middle with almost this entire Canadian division, right? I think Toronto and Edmonton, personally, are the clear top two teams, and Ottawa's number seven. After that, they're all kind of even, right? They had that nice little playoff run. They're they're young. They got the you know Quinn Hughes, yeah. and they've got now a, you know Braden Holtby coming in. They also you know Thatcher Demko. I don't know how the goaltending is going to break down, but between Winnipeg, Calgary, Montreal, and Vancouver, I think that can go any way. So you're going to look at the development of those younger players for the Canucks. Yeah. Can they make that next step? Was that win over St. Louis last year kind of a and the push to Vegas to seven, was that a bit fluky or is that a sign of things to come? I think the Canucks are on a, on a nice upward trajectory, but whether or not they're able to make that top four, I, I would, if I were predicting, I'd say yes, they are a playoff hmm. team this year, but it is going to be quite a fight between the teams I mentioned to get in. Oh, it always is for us. Christian, thank you. You're welcome. Christian Amell, host of the sports show on 680 CJOB. I'm not going to lie. It hurts. It's going to hurt to see Jacob Markstrom in a different uniform. It really, really is. This is Mornings with Simi. Let's talk about the real estate situation for us. There have been record-breaking home sales in the Fraser Valley that we heard about this week. Just the latest development and what might be one of the strangest years in real estate for us in Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. And that's really saying something when you consider our history. I mean, there were dire predictions about the state of the industry earlier this year. But we actually ended up finishing approximately in line with the sales trends of recent years. For more on all of this, we're joined by Colette Gerber, who's chair of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Colette, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Are you surprised by kind of where we ended up? In the end, no. Um, We started out 2020 with a lot of activity because in the three years prior, the real estate market had been quite quiet. And so uh, with this robust start to last year and then the shutdown, we figured the summer would be busy. And it turned out that uh, the whole year ended up being busy because people had needs and decided it was time to make the changes. So we saw surprisingly strong sales and also an increase in prices. Like that's, So it sounds yeah. like the market was busy all year. Um, the market actually was busy all year. We did see an increase in prices. Um, we 
tended to be a little bit short of inventory throughout the year, and that uh, does put pressure on prices, causing price increases, and we're actually quite low right now. We're sitting at about 8,500 listings, and typically we'd be closer to 13,000. So as new listings come on throughout this first quarter, we believe that prices will um, just stabilize somewhat. So do you think if we're below the number of listings, does that mean there might be a little bit more pent-up demand out there when the listings do increase? Um, I just think it's continued demand. You know, three years of a quiet market, it starts to get active, then you're literally shut down for three months. There are a lot of people who had... um, savings that increased as the pandemic went along. And so if they were thinking of getting into the market or changing the uh, type of housing they were living in, it just uh, added fuel to the fire and brought them out to find a a home. So Claire, what is selling out there? Like what is the hot thing? Do people want townhouses, single family detached? What's going on? Um, The hottest thing right now is a single-family detached home, followed by townhouses, and then we still are seeing uh, good activity in the condo market, um, although prices there are staying essentially flat. Hmm. So are we going to meet that demand? Like, is there enough construction going on, do you think? Uh, Construction lagged last year, but it has started to pick up. And um, construction is certainly one of the factors. But if you're taking a look at um, multifamily projects, they usually take about three years to come to market. So that's not going to have an effect right now on availability of homes for people. But it does sound like the month of December was a very good one in the (laughs) real estate market. Yes, it was was really busy. Uh, People just kept on buying. Um, There was also um, people moving out to a little more remote areas like Squamish, uh, Sunshine Coast and the Gulf Islands little bit better price point, a little bit more uh, bang for your buck in terms of space, and also a more suburban area that gave people the ability to have a yard and not um, have your neighbors sitting on top of you. Right. So what do you think is going to be critical then for 2021? Where do you see the market going? The most critical element for 2021 is inventory. Uh, We need inventory, we need supply, and um, as the supply comes on, we believe the activity will still be there. People aren't finished buying and, and moving. As certainty has come back into people's lives in terms of uh, working from home, whether that's now going to be um, a constant or whether there's some kind of hybrid model for their work 
this will all impact people's decisions um, as right. to whether they buy, and we think they probably will. Does it does the resiliency of this market surprise you, Collects? I think it does surprise a lot of people. Canadians are typically homeowners. When you look at the numbers right across the country, uh, home is um, uh, very personal and I just believe that uh, there's there's always going to be resiliency in our market. If you take a look at uh, historical numbers, it goes up, it goes down, but it always comes back up. It certainly seems to be doing that. Colette, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. So let's talk about COVID-19 testing, because the number of tests being done right now, every day in BC, dropped 50% when we went into the holiday season. We've been told, you know, Dr. Bonnie Henry told us that they're worried that people were avoiding getting tested over the holidays because they didn't want to have to quarantine over Christmas and New Year's. But the numbers have stayed kind of low, even as we all headed back to school and work this week. So what impact does that have on modeling? What should we read into that with those numbers in mind? Joining us now is Daniel Coombs, who's a UBC professor in mathematics and has done extensive work in modeling diseases. Uh, Daniel, thanks for being back with us. Oh, good morning. Yeah, thank you. Uh, do those low testing numbers concern you? Um, I'm going to say not yet. Um I had a bit of a dig into this over the past few days myself because I, I did notice this drop as well. Um, and and you're, you're quite right that the numbers of tests being reported um, over the basically over the, the school Christmas holidays and even even into this week have been have been uh, really low compared to what they they used to, what what they were for the weeks uh, leading up to that point. And and I, I kind of came up with. <laughs> three things which I think we should think about with these with these things, if you'll permit me. Um, the, the, the first thing is is that there is there is a, a fraction of tests um, that are due to routine testing, and I think a pretty good a good amount of that is coming from the film industry, um, where people are required to repeatedly test to uh, to keep working. Um, and I reached out to some friends of mine who work in that industry. I don't have a, a great data source for that, but they they just confirmed that. That the, a lot of the productions have closed down over the Christmas holidays, and so that's um, maybe a, in Vancouver and Fraser, maybe twenty twenty five percent of the drop is 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 explained by by that change. Um, and and, you, and this is this this information is reported by the province, but it comes out in these weekly reports, and then you have to turn to page six and so on and find this graph and look at it like this. So, but but the information is is kind of there. It'll be interesting when they release the, uh, the the weekly report, which which should be coming up um, later this week. They didn't do them over Christmas um, holidays. That uh, that that should come back. So that that explains part of it. The, the other thing is there has been a sort of a slight decline in numbers of tests just on the background, and this is probably related to our slight decline in the number of cases. In that, you know, maybe slightly fewer people were feeling symptoms. Or were coming into contact with a traced case, and so they weren't, um, they, you know, people weren't seeking testing for that. That's a small explanation. It does still leave a pretty big chunk um, yeah. of the drop, which is which is due to the to the Christmas effect. Um, and and so that where that's going to be very interesting now is just looking as to what happens now 
that, you know, kids have gone back to school, a lot of people have gone back to work, and, and what are we going to see in that in, in, in testing, you know, um, to, to allow all this to wash out, I'd probably want to be looking, you know, five or five, maybe four or five days from now and reading that weekly report, re- weekly report to see how the, um, how the routine testing, you know, film industry stuff uh, is coming back after Christmas. So with with all that then, when you look at the actual number of cases that we have reported, I think yesterday was 420-something, uh, do you go, okay, is that actually the number of cases? Um, well, optimistic me says yes, um, because that, that would then fit in with the, the, the drop that we saw starting to happen before the holidays, uh, just, just continuing into January. Um, but I, I, I have to agree that, that just at this point, it's tempered with a little bit of a question as to how, how many people maybe would otherwise have gone to get tested, but because they were, you know, doing something else over the holidays or they were worried there would, you know, be, be delays or something like that, they, they chose not to. And so maybe there was a little bit um, of a change there. Very, very hard to quantify. You're trying to estimate, you know, the rate of something that didn't happen and you have very little evidence to go on as to, as to, as to what did happen. Okay, then. So are you feeling, like, how are you feeling then about where BC is at then with its positivity? <laughs> yeah, o- overall, oh, the positivity rate. Yeah, over, overall, my, my feeling about BC is is that I feel about the same as I did on December 20th, that, you know, we, we had seen improvements um, over over the few weeks up to that point. Um, I was sort of aware that, that the Christmas holidays was going to have a big impact on, on what we were seeing. And so I, I'm trying to if you like reserve judgment until we've had a full week, maybe back from, from, from the, you know, uh, so, so I, ne- next Monday would be, I think would be a good time to look. But I will say that positivity rate across the province has grown a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, you know, it's up to eight, 9%. Um, it's not a statistic. I put a huge amount of weight on myself because I've always have these questions about what are the reasons for people going out to test um, you know, factoring in what, what is the film industry up to in a particular week as you look at the numbers. Um, but it, it has gone up a lot, and I'm not going to say I, I'm not, you know, keeping a close eye on that um, as, as we come out of the holidays. So what, what are you going to look for then? When we get more modeling done, what, where do we post-Christmas, post-holiday season need to turn our attention to, do you think? I, I still think despite this little bit of uncertainty that we have right now, I still think the place to look is the numbers, but that's, that's the thing that we've now had a, you know, a a long, there was a long period of gradual increase. And then, and then, you know, the province brought in new measures. And now we've now seen this period of gradual decrease. I think that's one particular thing that um, we want to see that decrease sustained. Um, And and then the second thing is, is, um, is, is maintaining vigilance, you know, and, and understanding the, 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 what, what uh, Dr. Henry is saying in her um, afternoon briefings around whether they, uh, whether they find the, uh, the um, B117, the UK variant, uh, in British Columbia again. Uh, they found it in a returning traveler uh, over the holiday period, um, and it does seem like it didn't spread from that point. Um, but that... Uh, that strain, as, as we know, in, in other places in Europe, um, has has been responsible. Well, it appears to be responsible for a lot of the growth that was seen in the UK, right. um, and it's been detected in a lot of other places. How do you think, Daniel, that we're doing with our data? I mean, th- this came up this week because Dr. Henry said that we didn't have the IT capacity to do certain things in providing, you know, collated information about long-term care homes. 
uh, is that really the case? Do you think? Like, are we lacking in data? Um, the the province the province has the ability to to access a lot of data. Um, you know, in in conversations with people at BCCDC, you know, there's, there's a lot of information um, there, and and in that the people have. I think the province should. I think there's still a lot of capacity to improve data collection and to improve um, data sharing with the public, so so um, so people, um, you know, are able to, are able to to get a clearer picture of the situation by themselves. Uh, I do think that's something that um, should continue to be improved um, through the through the remainder of the pandemic, and hopefully, when we find ourselves on on the other side, that the the, the um, the province, the Ministry of Health, can can look at how they can update their systems so that they can get the information out. Um, I, I I think it's it's a concern to people. You know, we we want to know what's going on, uh, and when we look at other jurisdictions that are reporting more data, you know, I think I think the province can can improve matters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for, for the people. Now, Daniel, what's the next thing you're going to turn your attention to? There's so it feels like there's so many different things we can learn from everything that's going on with this. Yeah. Um, the main the main thing that I'm I'm looking at right now, as we talked about before, is is the is the new strains which are being mm-hmm. which are being um, I've, I've been doing quite a bit of reading about the the British strain, uh, and and there's also a strain from South Africa which has additional mutations and and then, but but for me, yeah, sorry, I should I should have said what I'm really looking at is the, the place to focus on at this point is Israel. Um, in Israel, they've um, uh, they vaccinated something like 10% of their population. I think it's slowing down a little bit now as their supplies of vaccine. Um, uh, you know, they, they've gone through the initial phase. Um, as I understand it, there's, there's a you know a, a pretty good um, lockdown, as it were, in Israel at the moment. And um, as they start to come out of that lockdown, it will be a place to look to see you know what is the vaccine efficacy. Um, does it reduce transmission? Um, how does it impact their hospital and um, and death statistics going forward? Um, they're just ahead of everybody else in terms of the proportion of people that have been right. vaccinated, um, and we'll catch up uh, as the vaccine comes here from from, from the manufacturers. Um, but but it'll be I think I think that's a place that I'm I'm paying a lot of hmm. attention to at the moment. Yeah. All right. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for your time this morning. Great. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. You may have heard in the news that public health officials announced a public health alert for Revelstoke and the region around it yesterday. They cited a substantial increase in community transmission. So what has been going on there? Joining us now to talk more about this is Gary Seltz, the mayor of Revelstoke. Thank you very much for being here. Good morning, Simi. What is the situation with COVID-19 cases in your community? Well, we're told by Interior Health that we have a cumulative total of 85, I believe, since uh, since the beginning of November. Um, so that's up substantially. We don't know how many of those numbers are actually active, how many people are here in the community that, uh, that have it. So we're kind of at a loss for words with that. So what, do you hope to get more information? Have you asked them for more? Yep. Yeah, we're hoping to get uh, a little more information so that we can uh, see what's going on. We know that we've had lots of people here in the community over the Christmas break, tourists here, uh, families coming to visit, even though uh, Dr. Henry said no essential travel. People are still moving about the province and they're moving from province to province and uh, and carrying on life as normal. So we're a little concerned about that. Uh, so we're asking people that are here in the community to follow what uh, 
what the locals have been asking for is to uh, do it as everybody else has been doing, mask up, uh, keep physical distancing, and uh, and try to keep safe. Mayor Saltz, that must be very disappointing for you to have seen over the holidays. that Everything was very specific. Everybody, everybody knew what the rules were, but you were still seeing tourism. Yep, absolutely. People were still going about their day and uh, still uh, snowmobiling, still skiing, still uh, cross-country skiing, doing whatever uh, they can in the recreation. And in, in their defense, they feel that they're doing their part to... Uh, physically isolate from others but it's the end of the day when they get together and they do the social gathering that's when the transmission uh, uh, right starts. what what kind of response did you get then from from regularly like people who live in Revelstoke um, because th- how did that go over well some of the people are definitely my generation which is uh, getting into the seniors generation are disappointed uh, the locals that have been here a long time are, are disappointed uh, the younger generation, that's uh, when we had this outbreak uh, cluster back in uh, November. Uh, definitely it was around the mid-30 age. So we're still anticipating that's the age group that's uh, transmitting. We don't have any COVID in our hospital or no patients there. and We don't have any COVID in our extended care. So we're concerned about making sure that we, we keep that uh, clean. And so, you know, the locals are definitely disappointed. And some locals would like me to do nothing better but to shut the city down so that nobody can get in. And unfortunately, that's out of my uh, jurisdiction. You said that you felt that these cases kind of came from socializing at the end of the day. So is that in bars and restaurants in Revelstoke or is that in private homes or what? uh, Both. Both. We've seen some some restaurants have to close because of... uh, uh, one or two staff members getting the virus, uh, and they would have to do deep cleaning, get interior health to get permission to reopen, and we've seen that happen. A couple instances, we've got one uh, uh, bar that's basically saying from now on it's locals only. Uh, we're not going to allow the tourists in. We've got a hotel that's closed, and they've closed because of precaution, and they're a tourist hotel, so they basically said, no, we're going to close until we uh, actually see numbers get better. So, you know, there is some concern, and there are people that have been uh, doing the right thing. All of the restaurants, if there's an indication there's a problem, they close, they make sure they clean, they make sure their staff go home and isolate, and then uh, and then they reopen. But it's a concern. It's a financial concern when they have to do that, and then when people locally get uh, get COVID and they have to go off work and then their friends have to isolate. And and so there is a, a snowballing effect with COVID. Not only is it the illness, but it, it, it happens to cause some financial difficulties as well. Has there been any pushback to the tourism that comes into the community? Uh, well, there's been some pushback, uh, you know, early on, of course, people didn't want the tourists to come. Um, we are a tourist community. Um, they're going to continue to come unless, uh, you know, unless the provincial governments do something more substantial and not allowing, uh, not allowing people to come from different provinces. And at this point, that's not going to change. And uh, we just need to make sure that we keep ourselves uh, safe and clean and, and do whatever we can. So if we were all here locally able to follow the rules, then we, we'd be able to stop this. Well, listen, best of luck to you and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Take care. You too. That's Gary Saltz, the mayor of Revelstoke. They've got a out- bit of an outbreak there, as you heard. Substantial increase in community transmission happening in the Revelstoke area. 
and lots of tourism still going on. He said he noticed it over the holidays, like hotels being full, bars and restaurants being full. People think they're social distancing because they're outside and, you know, the weather is cold and all that, but not paying as much attention as when they come back at the end of the day and decide to have a couple of drinks, which we know lowers inhibitions and hence Revelstoke has a problem. This is Mornings with Simi. It's our first Making Sense of the Markets with Lori Pinkowski for 2021. Lori is the Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity. You can always contact her team at 604-695-LORI. Check their website, pinkowski.ca. But right now, let's say Happy New Year to Lori. Hi, Lori. Happy New Year, Simi. How are you? I am good. Thank you. And I know I've been keeping track of the markets since you were away for a couple weeks. And I noticed that they did very well there towards the end of the year. That's great. I'm glad you're keeping track, even uh, while we were doing the show. Don't worry, I won't test you. But uh, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was all over the place. I mean, the markets had a really strong finish to 2020. I mean, the S and P was up 16 percent. The Dow was up seven, and Canada did lag, but still in the green, up two percent for the year. So again, I think this surprised some investors. But again, uh, as soon as that vaccine was announced, that's why you saw markets uh, move a lot higher, and some of those sectors that really came up last year were copper miners were up over 50%, technology up on average over 40%. Some of the weaker areas, uh, real estate down over 10% and even energy, right? And you think about real estate and how things are going to change going forward, especially commercial real estate, right? So many people still working from home and, you know, will that continue uh, once everyone's vaccinated? So I think some of those areas will still be under pressure, uh, but I think there'll be a turnaround in some of those sectors that lagged last year as well. So so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what, uh, what happens uh, in 2021. So what's happening with the markets like today, given what we see going on in the United States? You've got the election in Georgia, you've got the protests happening in Washington. Yeah, there, there's always lots going on for sure. Uh, in terms of the runoff election in Georgia, uh, it's very important uh, for markets anyway. Uh, the U.S. Senate obviously uh, kind of sets the agenda, votes on important bills such as stimulus, which has uh, been difficult to pass over the past few months, uh, just being that it's held by Republicans. And if these two seats are uh, basically if the Democrats get in, uh, things will be easily passed. Basically, what's known as a clean sweep. They're going to have the House, the Senate and Congress. And and so when you look at infrastructure spending, tax reform, health care, uh, environmental regulations, things will be able to be passed uh, more easily going forward. So markets are actually responding quite positively with this. I mean, you got the Dow up over 500 points right now. Markets in general are up over 1%, and this isn't always the case um, uh, when Democrats right. get in, just because they're not as much, I guess, pro-business and people are worried about increasing corporate taxes going forward. But I think at this point, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting any increase in taxes uh, as they're coming out of a recession. So, you know, for the next two years, if it's Democrats, that's great. Uh, you know, we're going to see more stimulus and uh, you know, markets will likely move higher uh, with, with, with the outcome of this election. And again, you know, when we see, uh, you know, everything uh, come to fruition here, it will probably still be a day or two from us really finding out uh, the final right. details. Are there sectors that are more impacted than others when it comes to the political impacts on the markets? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you see technology kind of down today just based on this or, or lagging, I should say, maybe not down, but 
uh, anything that's in materials or infrastructure, industrials, those kinds of areas, financials, energy, all of those are rallying the most right now. So, so definitely it depends on which sector going forward. And that's where I'm saying, you know, things that lagged back in 2020 might be a place where you're going to see a shift of more money going forward. And I mean, energy was down 35% last year. I mean, it came up from the lows, right? And so still, again, going forward, it's still going to be a little bumpy, right? Nothing goes straight up forever, as we know. Um, but again, you want a team that's, you know, on top of this kind of stuff, uh, if you're not, uh, and just making sure that they're watching the news and making decisions on this, because what's good, you know, last January in the markets isn't what was good in July. Right. And then now with all these changes and really um, the U.S. election kind of behind us, uh, you know, going forward, you want to make sure that you're in the right right sectors for sure. Yeah. So how do you do that then? So what's your outlook for the year? And, and does that mean that you're making changes for your clients? Yeah, you know, we we went heavy into equities after the U.S. election back in November. So, you know, most of the portfolios are 70%, 75% in equities right now, um, depending on the client, of course. Some people um, want less equities or should have less equities. But overall, we're, we're still bullish about 2021, even though 2020 uh, was still a good year. Uh, usually when you're coming off such a low, um, it continues the following year. And especially because we have ongoing stimulus, especially if we have a democratic clean sweep here and also the global vaccine rollout, depending on how fast that can, you know, get distributed. I mean, it's still very positive. Like I said, I mean, the first day when we heard that the vaccine was approved, I said, this is the beginning of the end of COVID. And I truly believe that. And so markets are very forward looking. And so are we. And so again, we've adjusted the portfolio since November. I had a real strong close uh, to 2020. And like I said, even if there was a correction at some point, it's normal to have a correction 5-10%, even twice a year. Uh, I would welcome that. Remember, volatility can be your friend. Take advantage of that. That's what we do anyway. And again, always have a plan B just in case markets uh, don't do what you expect, right? There Mm -hmm. could be a curveball thrown at you, as we all know. And you just have to have a a team, a financial advisor, a portfolio manager who makes quick decisions uh, to protect your nest egg for sure in any situation. All right. Well, speaking of that nest egg then, I mean, this might be a year that I'm sure many people have scheduled to retire uh, how do, what what are you should you be checking off your list at the beginning of the year if you want that to happen? Yeah, you know, looking at 2021 and retirement is uh, probably looking a lot different than last year. And this is something actually uh, John McComb and I are doing on our podcast, Ready, Set, Retire, this Friday. And so I thought I would kind of dive into it uh, a little bit here on air uh, with less time. But one is more relying on yourself, right? No one's going to make your retirement happen for you. You need to kind of define what that is for you. And in order to plan ahead, you need to understand how much you're going to spend, be realistic about your goals. Uh, You know, what I'm seeing is a lot of people spent a lot less last year, right? And so use that uh, either to save more uh, or to start planning for exciting and fun things in 2021, you know? Uh, Put pen to paper, get those ideas down, start planning uh, for travel and so on. And uh, you know, another one, and I say this often, but it, but it's true. Having a financial plan, right, is really important. And I know a lot of financial advisors say that, but I mean a real detailed one, um, you know, really trying to figure out how you want to spend your time. Uh, do you want to spend a lot of time with family and uh, and travel, or do you want to learn a new skill? You're trying to get healthy in uh, 2021, you know, or there's some New Year's resolutions there on the table. But in terms of the finance part of it, you want to just make sure that, not that you're just not spending 
uh, enough, but also making sure that you're looking ahead and, and, and rewarding yourself for your for saving money, right, during your working years. Uh, now it's time to spend some as long as it takes you to the end of your days. And the only way you're going to figure that out is if you have someone do a financial plan for you. And not all advisors offer that. But again, if, uh, if yours doesn't, I'd be looking for one that does. Uh, because like I always say, you can't manage someone's money unless you know who they are. And it's really important to have that financial yeah. plan. And uh, yeah, and keeping money invested is another one, right? A lot of people yeah. went to cash last year and, and panicked and never got back in. And, and GICs, as you know, Simi, we've talked about it. I mean, they don't pay a lot. So, you know, you're not going to be making much money and you may not even reach your financial plan goals if you're not invested in the market. So again, don't be scared of the market. What happened uh, happens kind of once in a decade, uh, a crash like that. And it's not that it can't happen again. Uh, but again, being with a financial team that can kind of steer you in the right direction of your portfolio during those times, for sure, right? So, so you know, final thoughts on retirement. I mean, everyone's retirement will be different. Own yours. Uh, you know, do what you want and plan for it. Um, have fun. This is what you saved for. And stay healthy and keep a schedule. Don't get in a rut. Uh, and again, just make sure you're with a team that can guide you through all things retirement. There's many different stages uh, during retirement, and uh, it's uh, important to plan for those stages ahead of time. Right. Oh, such good advice. Thank you for that, Lori. Awesome, Simi. You have a great week and looking forward to talking to you many times here in 2021. <laughs> That's an excellent resolution. Thank you so much for that. That's Lori Pinkowski with Making Sense of the Markets. She's the Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity. You can contact her team at 604-695-LORI or you can visit their website at pinkowski.ca.